Welcome to another episode of I'm Nano. Putting the I in I am Nano, I'm your host, Irfani. And I'm your other host, Monica. And today, we have a new series um, called Lit Update, Meet the Experts, where we invite scientists to talk about their exciting projects. And today, here we have Brittany Smith, a PhD candidate from Duke University, to share her latest paper published in Nano Letters. Welcome, future doctor Brittany. I'm very excited to have you on the show. Of course. Hi, everyone. I'm Brittany. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I'm like I said, I'm a PhD candidate at Duke University, and I work on printed electronics, specifically looking at carbon-based materials that are sustainable so that we can hopefully help with creating a more sustainable environment with specifically looking at electronics. Perfect. That's wonderful. And I also, I want to just read a little bit about Brittany from her LinkedIn profile, because it's amazing. And if you ever had a chance to connect with her, please do so. It says that even though electrical engineering is not quite marine biology, which is one of her original passions, it says that she is driven to develop creative solutions to ensure electronics and nature coexist without further polluting the earth. That is a wonderful goal. And along with that, she says that she seeks to develop new technology to better understand nature, starting small at humidity sensors and expanding to wearable electronics for all, including humans, trees, and seahorses. Now that's an intro. That's really exciting. <laughs> that's yeah. The goal. yeah. Well, I challenged myself to get seahorses in there. They're my favorite animal. And oh. I just yeah, I know. I wanted to get them in there into my LinkedIn so that I know there's a good starting point to talk about with people too. Um, I actually, when I was interviewing for PhD positions, uh, one of my questions was, would it be possible for me to work in a marine um, topic, if possible, even something with the environment? And actually, one of the professors I talked to felt like figured out that our favorite animals were also seahorses. So oh. that was really exciting. Yeah, it was like a bonding experience. Um, wow. Yeah. And it brings some sometimes professors are kind of scary to talk to, especially when you're an undergrad and you're mm-hmm. talking to them from all over the, like universities all over the world even. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was kind of like a nice icebreaker to to get them to open up a little bit about, you know, if they're interested in doing something like this. That's so a little bit different from their own research. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And I like how you bring up the, you know, the marine animals into this, because with wearable electronics, we often think about just for humans, right? So it's really great to expand it beyond, you know, us and it'll benefit everybody else as well. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the application space is is pretty widespread. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's very solid advice for those of us going into trying to apply to grad school. So take note, everybody. And I was also wondering, like, we're very excited to learn more about your latest paper, but just kind of riding that wave of your favorite animal and marine biology and your kind of passions, can you tell us more about yourself and your interests and hobbies? Yeah, sure. So um, let's see. I'm really interested and passionate about the environment, um, specifically like marine life. Um, I grew up on the coastline in Connecticut, and I spent a lot of time just looking at different animals. Um, I like looking at <laughs> hanging out with like crabs and um, oh. like horseshoe crabs are one of my favorites to look at. Um, and I actually volunteered at the Maritime Aquarium in Norwalk in Connecticut. Um, I did oh, over wow. 100 hours of volunteering there where you get to have them pet 
uh, different animals and talk about like jellyfish and like seals, all those fun things. Um, and so I'm really passionate about marine life and all of that. Um, but I found out pretty early on that biology was just not for me. I love tinkering. Um, I started out really young with my dad, who's an electrician, just doing tinkering around the house. And so um, I actually found that physics and math were my strengths in high school. And so my my best friend in the world told me that I should just apply for engineering. Um, and I tried it. And here I am. <laughs> What, six eight years later something like that um wow so yeah still going with engineering and I and I love it and I found that there's a lot of overlap and if you can make your own overlap you can make your own way if you're passionate about something it's possible to mm -hmm. um, merge your interests and so that's kind of what I've been more or less trying to do I've taken a lot of uh, environmental classes here at Duke as well as electrical engineering classes and integrating them into my research wow no, that's really cool though, because you talk about how you like the animals, but then biology is not your thing. And it's really great to be able to merge the two together because it's really often like, oh, you're you like these kind of stuff, you like the biology aspect, or oh, you should go here, but you don't have to go there if your interests and strengths are elsewhere. So this is for you are and it's great. Yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of people don't realize that engineering is so expansive. When I say mm -hmm. I'm an electrical engineer, they're like, Oh, you work on power lines. Yes, <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, everyone thinks that. I, just, I promise that is, electrical engineering is a whole realm of things. It's not just yeah. that. Um, and so, yeah, I actually feel like when I tell people about my projects, I try to say that I work on the intersection of like chemistry, biology, uh, material science, and electrical engineering all in one since we're doing so much, as well as chemistry. I mean, there's always chemistry that comes mm -hmm. into play too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is everywhere. And a, a big component is all the nanotech stuff that you're incorporating in your other in your research too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So I mean, we're not gonna talk about power lines here. We're gonna talk about the actual yeah. <laughs> the actual flexible electronics that's gonna benefit all the marine animals. Um so let's get started on digging deep into this paper. So your new paper titled All Carbon Thin Film Transistors Using Water-Only Printing is super lit. And uh, I mean, we both worked on CNTs before, so how this is integrated into a new technology is really exciting for us to learn more about. Can you talk us through about the title and you know the main importance of this work? Yeah, so this work focused on um, using carbon-based materials, specifically a um, semiconductor conducting and insulating carbon-based materials um, and we add them together by using printing so we print all the different layers and we create electronics out of them um, and typically when you have printing for additive manufacturing there's a lot of harmful ingredients that are used in the inks themselves and so what we're trying to do in this paper is using only water as the um, dispersant rather than using harsh chemicals or just not environmentally friendly chemicals. Um, and so the importance of this is that we are able to um, share with the world that there is an alternative to this up and coming um, field. So a lot of people don't really know that much about printed electronics because it's still developing, um, whereas silicon is really well developed. This is kind of an mm -hmm. up and coming field. And so we think that there's a lot of impact that can be had by just integrating these carbon-based materials that are fully recyclable and using water as the only solvent to create environmentally sustainable electronics in this manner in a field that's up and coming rather than one that's already been really well established. 
Right. It's, it's hard and to change a system. Yeah. Oh, there's going to be a lot of pushback, right? Because we want to stick with status quo. Um, when you said printing, you're um, when the paper says aerosol jet printing, so it's not the 3D printing. It's using like spray-based painting. Is that right? Yeah. So it's very similar to printing out pieces of paper um, in mm. that it's like an inkjet printer, except for instead of just spreading out some ink, it actually aerosolizes the ink. Um, and think of it like Febreze. Um, you're basically have right. Febreze, but in a very small um, nozzle that's coming out of. So basically think of the diameter of your hair. That's the oh, wow. size of the nozzle that um, the ink is coming out of. And so we can get pretty decent resolution in terms of like how small we can get them, um, our lines to be. Yeah, really it's actually impressive. really cool. But there are a lot of technologies that are up and coming right now that make even smaller lines than that with different techniques for added manufacturing. Um, mm -hmm. And we're, we're still looking at those as possibilities for something that we will work towards using in the future in our lab as well. Wow. Fascinating. So did you have to MacGyver the whole machine yourself or with your team of people? Or is it already made and you just apply? Yeah, so printing? we actually have one that's from Optimec, um, and it's pretty commonly used. It's an aerosol jet printer 300, I believe. Um, but there's a lot of people who do make their own or they fabricate pieces around some of the existing parts. So you, yeah, in, in, in research, a lot of times people like to make their own, own things oh, yeah. to use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. We kind of have to, cause you know, it's research. So not everybody has the tools that they need. You gotta right, have to but I think that's own. better, right? Cause you're using a machine that's readily available and then yeah. that makes it more implementable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is super implementable. Um, yeah, there's a lot of talk about, so for aerosol jet printing, it's pretty um, low um, output. So the number of devices you can make in a certain amount of time is pretty low, um, but it's directly scalable to say um, gravier printing, which you could just print like a paper, like a newspaper. They just roll it out like a bunch of them. So you do a lot of prototyping on the aerosol jet printer, and then you convert it to gravier printing for when you want to do actual um, like mass production of the of the printed electronics. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's awesome. And I'm actually, so I'm wondering, because in the title, we got all carbon, we got thin film transistors, and we got that water-only printing, which you kind of explained like why it's so important. But I'm wondering, because carbon doesn't necessarily mix with water. So how did you get these carbon materials to be soluble in water enough to print with them? Yeah, so we actually are able to purchase these pre-made in water, um, which is really nice. So the the chemistry has gotten us this far. Um, we just haven't gotten to the added manufacturing part. But the way that they do that is they use surfactant, which is basically soap, um, and it surrounds the molecule and allows it to be dispersible in water, um, which is, I think, really neat. But it also is a challenge for us because when you have this um, extra basically so soap that's in your uh, material or surrounding your material, it reduces your properties, your electrical properties. Mm -hmm. So there has to be, once you print it, you have to figure out a way to sometimes get rid of that, um, that piece of that's surrounding it because you don't want to remove the electrical properties that you have. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so that's a really big challenge is trying to figure out how do you, how do you remove that um, surfactant? Um, and in our paper, actually, we spend a lot of time talking about how we remove it. That's one of the main challenges is because when you have CNTs dispersed in water, which is 
very difficult to do. Um, and they have to have a really high surfactant to CNT ratio or carbon mm-hmm, nanotube mm-hmm. ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's so much more surfactant than the CNTs that when you're printing, you're basically printing surfactant. And so you have to remove, you have to do iterative printing. So you print the CNTs with the surfactant, you remove the surfactant, then you print more CNTs with surfactant, you remove the surfactant and the CNTs get stay where they are. And so you just have to keep adding on layers and layers and removing the stuff you don't want in order to get right. a dense enough film in order for it to work. Yeah. And again, based on, I mean, I work with CNTs before too, and having CNTs, because they're so hydrophobic, they like attract everything. So it's very hard, just like you said, to remove anything that's already stuck on there. So the fact that you guys are able to do that with multiple rinsing, it's it's quite labor intensive, but it works really well. So that's really great. Yeah, it, it is kind of labor intensive. Um, but uh, I think that's something that can be improved upon. It's just, this is the first generation of printing mm-hmm. this. So like all science, everything iteratively gets better. So we might be the first in this, but maybe someone will come up with a, oh, you can just easily do this other side uh, process and it'll work even better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hopefully someone does. Like how long it took you to, or your team to figure out, oh, we got to print it multiple times, right? Maybe that wasn't the first idea or it didn't work. Yeah. So it took us a really long time, maybe, I don't know, six plus months. So we actually oh, wow. started with, a. we were trying to make our own inks um, and that it, that was really difficult because our inks weren't as stable as the ones you could purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were printing them and we were finding that they were just, I mean, unless until you do three print and rinse cycles, you won't get any modulation in the channel. Basically, your device won't work. Um, and so... We have. We, it took us a long time to figure out. Okay, we need to keep going with this um, print and rinse cycling. Um, so yeah, sometimes sometimes it's it's there. You just don't know it's going to work. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's part of the process. But yeah, you have that breakthrough moment where you're like, oh yes, there it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did you feel when that happened? Oh, it was, was great. finally yeah <laughs> yeah eureka yeah. moment. Yeah, yeah. The person that I, I worked with, the, the main author in this paper, Shi Hang, um, who has since graduated and has been away from our lab for the past year, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, when he figured it out, he was super excited. Um, he, I, feel, I feel like one, one of the things about research is you just have to keep pushing through um, a lot of adversity. And sometimes things don't work and you just have to keep having a positive outlook. And then when things do work, everyone just starts getting really excited. And when yeah. he was sharing the results with our team, because um, yeah. we have a group meeting every week and he, when he was sharing it he was just so excited and it was just really great to see because he was you know I feel like there's a point of project you always have a, excitement in the start um, things start not working they go downhill mm-hmm. and you have this mm-hmm. like low and then it's, when things really start working and ramp up and you figure out all the things that are going wrong you just get super super excited and I feel like that was the point where we're all like yes okay let's let's figure out what we need to do to to make this um, a, pa- a paper for publication because at the end of the day, you want to be able to share all the things that you've learned um, and mm-hmm. have. And it's, it's really difficult, actually. You get to what you need, right? You get the the things that works. And then you need to be able to figure out a way to present it so that people think it's important. Um, and it takes a long time to craft um, experiments in order to do that, too. Mm-hmm. And also, like, I mean, your paper, it's very well written. It's easy to understand. I mean, granted, both of us have backgrounds in this, but I feel like anyone who who 
come across the paper, who wants to read the paper can easily understand it to a certain extent. Yeah. 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 My advisor, Dr. Franklin, spends a lot of time making sure that all of us are trained in um, creating content that is understandable to most readers, um, as long mm-hmm. as you have some background. And he stresses on um, how to make figures re- like look nice and so that they're easily digestible as well. So that the figures stand alone from the paper. So if you only just look at the figures, you can understand them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, it's a very difficult trait. Um, I've, it is. I've actually, I've learned Blender and um, how to use PowerPoint. And I was, it's just, you it's learned been Blender. A, yeah. I've, wow. I've been really proficient in Blender. And it's, it's really, it's an awesome and powerful tool. But if you don't know how to use it, it's a little bit overwhelming. It, it, it can be intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like I've become like an artist almost just by trying to, all of the images that we need for our papers wow yeah <laughs> incredibly impressive oh, it's yeah. it was difficult but I mean I wasn't the first in our lab to do it there was other people who taught me like what tutorials to look for and things like that um, and I just continued learning and asking them questions and then you can also google things there's a lot of stuff mm-hmm. out there yeah yeah, yeah. good but making it really everybody. Yeah, but the paper, the fact that your supervisor is making sure that all your papers are easily digestible, it's something that's really hard, especially as scientists, because you know all these jargons, right? So it's easy to just use those words, but being able to translate it for the general to a relative extent, it's it's very challenging. Yeah, yeah. it definitely is. Um, and also trying to figure out how much information you should put in a paper, mm-hmm. and then adding stuff into supplementals, like what what should go and what shouldn't. It's, it's like it's, a storyline, right? Yeah, it's yeah, a storyline. Like, what kind of visuals you wanna you wanna show? Yeah. Yeah, we storyboard basically from the creation of a publication. We basically storyboard. We were like, okay, yeah. here are the. We start with our figures actually. So we'll 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 make right. all of our figures, and it might not be done. The data might not be there. We might have a little placeholder, but yeah, mm-hmm. we we start with figures. Um, we create a story, a narrative, um, and mm-hmm. then we start writing. Yeah. Yeah. That'll really get you a good, really good publication and yes. really easily yeah. digestible one. Yeah, it's, um, it's a good, it's a good formatting. It's it's tough though. The first few times you do it, it's it's really difficult. Yeah, but then you get used to it after a while, and then you're just churning it out easily. Yeah, <laughs> you're just you make it look easy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, while we're talking about this, I mean, we kind of talk about like how you're putting everything together, but then. Um, what I wanted to ask is, because you also mentioned that the first author, he wasn't there for the first year and he started it. And I can imagine it might take some time to transfer the knowledge between two different scientists who are working on it. So I just want to ask in general, like, what was the process like from the start of doing this project to the end? And what was, what was your favorite part about doing this research? Yeah, so um, I actually worked with Shihang a little bit on this project in the beginning. Um, it was mm-hmm. really his... Um, his project to start off with because he was really motivated to be able to print on actually other. So we have a CNTs that we have currently that we use in our lab that are toluene based. So a little bit more of a non-environmentally friendly Mm -hmm. solvent. And we actually wanted to print on 3d materials. So um, just thinking of actual 3d plastics Um, Mm -hmm. and we can't print toluene on that because toluene is through plastic. Yeah. So he started going down this road of, okay, well, can we use, water is that something that we could do i mean that's environmentally safe it's safe for this plastic we can actually print onto biological materials to these devices um and so um, i was kind of working with him workshopping ideas on what we could do and so yeah he we 
we finished the project actually in about a little over a year ago. Um, and then he graduated last August and he left and he started the paper, but then I had to finish up all the finishing touches and work with my advisor to do that as well. Um, but there are definitely a lot of challenges in just coming up with how we wanted to create the project. Um, how do we want the project to work out? Um, and then, I mean, obviously there's so many ideas in the start of projects too. You have to figure out and weed out which ones are good and which ones aren't. And so we spend a lot of time mm -hmm. doing that as well. Um, and I think a lot of those ideas that we started with and that we haven't, that we didn't show in this paper, we have been working on on the side. So there's other papers mm -hmm. that are coming up or other works that um, are going to fill out, I think, more of this water only carbon based material printing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like how you point out there's a bunch more that you guys tried, but you haven't shown in the paper. It's like the analogy of the iceberg where, where the paper is just the tip of the iceberg. Everything else is behind the scene that you spent hours and months on you know so yeah. it takes a very long time yeah, yeah yeah and there's other people in our lab who did um all, all carbon based material printing before too and so um this is just another step with the water only processing and then we have other steps as well as doing more implementation of okay we did transistors can we make sensors out of it those, mm -hmm. those are questions that we want to be able to to figure out in the future mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of what's next for you would be other types of applications or would you look at instead of all carbon, maybe incorporating other different types of atoms in there at all? Or is yeah. that your focus all carbon all the time? You want graphene carbon nanotubes and that's it. Um. So we actually are doing all of the above. So <laughs> we're looking wow. at. Yeah. So there's a, our lab has a lot of projects going on right now, but we are looking at water-based inks for say gold and mm. other metals um, and seeing if we can incorporate them with our other water-only uh, materials that we have in the lab. Um, we're also working on developing the dielectric a little bit more, which is that um, nanocellulose. And so mm -hmm. we want to understand more about like, how does it work as a dielectric? Um, and so we've done some work on that. We've published some work on it, um, but we still have some more to look into. Um, and yeah, that, that's, those are just the two of the big ones. There's a lot of other stuff, just like creating sensors out of it. Will they work? Um, are these carbon-based materials as good as their uh, other um, compatriots almost? <laughs> the other types of materials out there, like is graphene as good as gold and sensing mechanisms, stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. And will these CNTs with this um, different surfactant, even though we're removing a surfactant, there's always some residue left over. Right. Um, right. And so how will those CNTs work as sensors? Because I know that um, you all have worked with CNTs as sensors before, and so can they? Can this um, CNT-based ink also work as well as a sensor compared mm -hmm. to the other ones? Um, so yeah, there's a lot of question marks that we don't know, um, but I think that's what makes this research exciting. It it opens a lot of doors, um, yeah, to, to what we can do. All the possibilities, because yeah. the minute you you find out more, you kind of have more questions. You know, that's always the problem. So it never yeah. ends, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You answer one, and like twenty more pop up. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. No. Yeah, it's amazing. And I guess um, just a couple of more details about the paper itself. I found it really interesting how you use profilometry as one of your characterization methods. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't see that very often, but maybe because I'm looking more at field effect transistors than thin film transistors. So I'm wondering if you could comment on like why you use the characterization methods that you did 
and why thin films and not FETs? Um, why looking at those different types of transistors? Yeah, so um, so thin film transistors just talk about like the thinness of our dielectric material as well as the um, the channel itself. So the semiconducting material, um, carbon nanotubes are inherently very thin. We both print basically one layer, um, so that makes them thin film. Mm-hmm. Um, we did profilometry just to show that we are able to add layers on top of each other without removing layers below it. So one of the challenges with printing is um, especially when you're using water as the only um, dispersant, is that if you print a water layer on top of another layer that was printed that was also soluble in water, sometimes they just redisperse in each other. Right, um, right. And so, yeah, so the challenge is how do you get that to not redisperse? Like, how do you make sure that the CNTs don't get taken up into the graphene and then you don't have a channel? Or how do you make sure the graphene doesn't get taken up into your insulator and then makes that conductive? Um, and so... We, we wanted to show that, yes, if we print layers that we're not going to be doing intermixing and just by doing the profilometry, you're able to see, yeah, the first layer is this thickness, then the next layer you add on is a thickness mm-hmm. we expected it to be. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, interesting. Yeah. And you can't really do that with AFM because then you're like kind of damaging if you're using contact or it's not yes. as accurate. So AFM, um, at least the ones that we have that we had access to at the time, since well, there was actually in our lab that, because we used a shared materials instrument facility at Duke. Um, the AF, we were between AFMs at that moment, oh. um, so we had to we had to, we had to use a few um, a few different methods to try to use. Um, we've done yeah, profilometry was one of the ones that was an option for us, um, mm-hmm. but we've done AFM in the past on this material, and we found that um, it's really thick, and so AFM doesn't work so well when you have like a very thick right, material. Right. Um, so you can get kind of the film morphology on the top, but you can't get the, the really thickness because it's like a few microns thick. Um, okay. Yeah, our nanocellulose when it prints comes out pretty viscous, and it's it's about like five to ten microns of thickness. Oh wow, interesting. See, these are all these are little details that you have questions when you read the paper, and it's so nice to talk to the expert about the paper because then you can get all this other information. Yeah, and there's always like a side story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I do have a question for you all though. Um, I, I was wondering if so I know Monica, you worked on alignment of carbon nanotubes. Yes. Um if you if we did align the carbon nanotubes in a in a percolation network like this, do you think that it would affect our results or do you think that there would be no no change? That is a great question. And so I guess one of the main things with CNTs is when you have a straight line with them between your source and your drain in the material, the properties are really good. When we talk about properties, we're going to say like mobility of the electrons, like the carriers and the ion off ratio. So I would imagine if you were to line up all your CNTs that you're printing and they're perfectly aligned um, from your source to the drain, I think your properties might be a little bit better. I would predict um, based on all the information I've gathered. But that's a great question because you know what? I was actually going to ask you, oh, your ion IF ratio is like 10 to the 3 in the thin film. You know, if you were to align them up, you could get 10 to the 6. Maybe. <laughs> apparently better. It's so funny. We're kind of like thinking on the same wavelength. So I'm actually so glad you asked that question. 
Yeah. Well, actually, the funny part is, so our off current is uh, limited because we're having, we're an ionic, um, or we're using nanocellulose as an ionic um, insulator. Um, and so, yeah, as a capacitor that's ionic, it actually has salt in it and that's conductive. And so we, we're really leaky in the gate. Um, so our, switch, our switching is, is limited by that. Um, it could be better. <laughs> oh, perfect. I see that answers my question because like FETs, you know, you're looking at the switching on and off. So that's why we got a thin film here, the thin film transistor, instead of going the FET route, because we have a leaky gate, which leaky gates are a very common problem for electrical engineers and anyone doing devices. For anyone yeah. yeah, it's one of the main issues. So, but I think for ionic conductor or for ionic insulators you know that that's going to be the case because they're when you're charging up your dielectric there's so the gate leakage part of it's that there's ions in there and it's actually leaking through but also it's the fact that you have mobile charges in the capacitor itself that are moving um, and you have to have charges that are building up to make that capacitance happen and so it's just such a high current that you're getting both the gate leakage and that charging current added together that you can you can measure a really high gate leakage. Um, and so, yeah, it, it really does affect your on-off ratio. But I think there are definitely ideas out there that I've seen in order to reduce this. Uh, we haven't implemented it in our lab yet, but I think I think it's it's something that's it's possible. It's just we like ionic conduct or ionic insulators because they're you can have such a thick layer, like that 10 microns I'm talking about for the nanocellulose, right. and still turn on and off your device because it doesn't matter how thick it is. Um, as long as you have some charge in your material, it's going to have about the same capacitance regardless of the thickness. Oh, that's so cool. I never knew that. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I've, I've spent a lot of time learning about them. Um, and they're ionic dielectrics are really difficult to understand. They're really complex. And people... It's, it's still an open research question as to how they work. Um, and I've, I've learned a lot recently um, in the past few years about, about how they work. And it's really interesting. Oh, yeah, it's fabulous. And like, the thing is, like, you don't stop learning, you just continue learning, even after your PhD, it'll be like, mm -hmm. still keep going. And then you answer, you have even more unknowns. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm so <laughs> glad we had this conversation about capacitance and the ion IF ratios. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it definitely makes sense. And I, I think if you're someone who's coming from the FET world and you're like, oh, these devices aren't that good, um, it makes sense. Yeah, because there's, there's a lot of things going on that are just different than how they normally work in the FET. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll follow that comment up with like, yeah, we're talking, people will be like, oh, yeah, you're just all working on transistors. It's the same thing. It's like, no, it's not. And just like we kind of touched on how we all worked with sensors before. Sensors are incredibly difficult <laughs> to make. And there's so many different types. And when people say, oh, yeah, I made the sensor that works. Well, it's like, OK, then how are you going to implement it? Like, is it going to be battery powered? Is it going to be solar powered? There's all these other types of questions, which is like it never ends. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And also there's a million different ways to measure sensors for mm -hmm. electrically, at least. Uh, like, do you want to do AC? You want to do DC? And what does that look like? Do you want to do capacitance-based, resistance-based? Um, it gets it gets really complicated. <laughs> um, and you know what's so funny? Okay, so this Irfani and I reviewed your boss's, Dr. Aaron Franklin's paper, where she wrote with, I think it was like a whole slew of different authors on what's the best way to characterize transistors. It's a nature paper that came out 
um, yeah. a few months ago in 2022. I was going to say late 2022. Me and Rafani were talking about it. And it's like, oh, this is a great like step by step. This is how we're going to characterize things because this is like going to mm-hmm. be a standard. Um, so it's really funny how we're like looping things together, which we'll link to that episode as well. With yeah. All of Brittany's contact info mm-hmm. because uh, it's, she's amazing to talk to and very excited <laughs> about all this research. Yeah, that was Joey's paper, right? The How to Report and Benchmark Emerging Field Effect Transistors. Yes. Okay. Yeah, no, that's a great paper. And um, Joey spent a lot of time. He's actually been graduated from our lab for more than three or four years. I, I've ever, I've, I've only met him one time. He popped into lab once. Um, but he, yeah, he's, he spent a lot of time going through and figuring out how to benchmark because it's difficult. There's so mm-hmm. much information out there. Um, and like, how do you do extractions and all this mm-hmm. stuff that it, it's difficult to, um, find that information, do the extractions, and then present it nicely. And I mm-hmm. think this paper gives a really nice how-to um, for someone who's newer to the field or even just want to make a really nice paper. Um, if you just follow the steps, it'll, your paper will be very publishable. Um, <laughs> so yeah, now now that people in our lab are looking at it and like, okay, Joey, Joey put this out there. Let's let's see if we can follow it. And, um, and so that's, yeah, it's really nice now because <laughs> I feel like Dr. Franklin is looking for us to 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 learn from these things, and um, he actually mm-hmm. he actually promotes a lot of this stuff for, to our lab mates. Um, and whenever something exciting comes out like this, he'll be like, "Oh, everyone, look at this exciting paper we just wrote. You need to read this and study it, and um, we'll talk about it during group meeting." He's really open to discussions. Um, yeah, he he likes to talk about it and make sure that we're all on the same page. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Franklin has high expectations for us. <laughs> uh, I can imagine. Yeah, uh, he's one of the big shots for sure. Um, yeah, thank you so much for giving us insight onto his lab group. And, you know, maybe we have mm-hmm. listeners that are interested in applying. Go oh, yeah. for it. Yeah. <laughs> Mira and Fanny yeah. are like, hmm, this guy sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you should. Dr. Franklin's the best. Uh, I don't regret choosing Duke and him as my advisor. Um, it's been a, a great opportunity and <laughs> I've loved every minute of it I feel like people in grad school or sometimes they're like oh we don't like our advisor and stuff but every single person that you talk to in the Franklin group cannot say they don't like Dr. Franklin they, it's just everyone yeah everyone loves him it's it's great I think when recruiting comes around and people are like oh what do you dislike the most we're like oh I don't know <laughs> food's expensive <laughs> but like we can't complain about Dr. Franklin <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that's when you know you have a great mentor, you know? Yeah, yeah. No regrets. Outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But we are looking to recruit. So if people want to work on this kind of stuff um, in our lab, you should reach out and we can work on recruiting you. uh, Because we we need people who are going to take over stuff like this. Um, Because I will unfortunately graduate at some point (laughs) in the the future. Maybe start your own lab too. Yeah, I've been thinking about it for sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah, they can come work for me. We can have a fun time. <laughs> yeah. On Fridays, I play music in the lab. It's a party. So mm-hmm. <laughs> don't tell Dr. Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll link all the information for those who are interested. And then they can contact you directly or to an email that we'll provide in the description below. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there any questions, Maka, that you else want to ask? Uh, there is one more, but I'll give it to you to ask any more specifics on the paper itself. Um, I think for me, I really like the the whole idea of using, you know, the whole using all carbon water. And I understand how difficult it is. But I guess what I want to just clarify for the readers is just, so graphene and CNTs, they're both conductive. The CNTs, what kind of role do they play in? 
Yeah, so our CNTs, our carbon nanotubes, are semiconducting. Mm-hmm. And we use specifically semiconducting, but they're 99.99% purity. So you always have some metallic mm-hmm. CNTs in there. Um, it's, that's one of the main problems with working with CNTs is purification, um, which you probably know very well. Graphene is our conductor. And then CNC, which is our um, nanocellulose, crystalline nanocellulose, that's our insulator or dielectric material. We were talking about mm-hmm. it earlier. That's our ionic dielectric that mm-hmm. uh, we add. We actually add salt to it, um, 0.05% NaCO, uh, just table salt. Um, oh. And yeah, we, we actually purchased that from cellulose labs in Canada. Um, and so exciting. <laughs> um, it's right near you, I think, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, um, we, we've actually read, we, we started using nanocellulose as a dielectric a while back and we published a few papers on it. There's a nature paper. Um, mm-hmm. and so we're actually looking at, um, using this for more in the future, like sensors okay. and things like that. So it's more, um, based on your previous work as are the CNC's better than other dialectic materials in what sense so um cellulose comes from plants and Mm -hmm. it is pretty easy to find and it's really abundant um but it's biodegradable so we actually did just um i published a few months ago a paper comparing cnc to two other types of ionic dielectrics um ion gel and pvdf hfp which are both um more used in common in printed electronics. Um, and we found that right now the CNC does outperform both of those in just general mm. like switching performance and general performance, but it still lacks in terms of um, bendability. So mechanical robustness, if you're using it on some flexible material, it's going to break down because um, mm-hmm. it, it is little crystals and we're trying to figure out some ways to help with that. And um, it also doesn't do as well with electrical bias stress. So just holding voltage over time. Um, And so uh, we did that comparison study and we're still trying to learn a little bit more on how we can improve the CNC to get it to the standards of ion gel and PVDF that are Mm -hmm. basically on the verge of commercialization. Right, right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, no problem. I know I spend a lot of time working on this, so. <laughs> yeah, you're really well versed in this. This, this is, is why we you know. have the expert. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, but I do have to ask the our main, our, our question that we ask all our guests is, where do you see the future of nanotechnology? Yeah, so it's a really tough question because nanotechnology is just so spread out. It's everywhere. There's so many different things. And I don't even think people realize what nanotechnology means. Like when I say that I work on nanotechnology, people are like, what even is that? And I'm like, it ranges from computers to LCDs all the way to sensors. Um, but I think the stuff that's going to be the most revolutionary in the next few years is those IoT sensors. So information of technology sensors. So the stuff that's like your wearables, um, things like that. Um, I think that's going to be the biggest and up and coming in the next five to 10 years because there's so much research on it and they're so close to being um not perfect, I guess that's not the correct wording, but they're so close to being good enough for commercialization as well as mm-hmm. being able to be produced in high enough um, mass for mm-hmm. it. So I think, I think that's the next, the next thing. Um, but I do hope to see some sensors that are coming out for like the environmental stuff. Um, yeah. Always a hope because it's important to, to care about the environment and using sensors and out there that are sustainable at least. And then also like, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm partial to the fact that like 
if you see a shark and they have those tags on them, they're huge. Like we could totally right. reduce those into just like electronic tattoos, stuff like that. I yeah. think it's just going to be these other fields are going to start integrating nanotechnology in ways that you're just not expecting. And that's just one of those. And medicine too, people are going to be wearing electronic tattoos sooner mm-hmm. than you can possibly imagine. Um, yeah. The future is, is coming close to us. Um, we've, we've even done an electronic printing of tattoos in our, in our lab. And they're, I mean, they're close to being commercial out there for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I can add a little bit onto that, like I'm working on the wearable biosensors right now. So the first step definitely is definitely humans, but to be able to convert it to something that marine animals can use yeah. is going to be definitely the next step because there's a whole set of challenges, but eventually we're going to get there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, integrating with nature and understanding nature, because I think mm-hmm. a lot of the time is if we understand nature, we can actually implement that into our own electronics. Oh, yeah. Um, like neuromorphic, neuromorphic computing is just mm-hmm. copying what the brain does. And we still don't know that much about the brain, I think. There's a lot to learn. So being able to just create these sensors to help with learning nature will yeah, continue advancing. Yeah. Yeah. The future. Yeah. That'll be really exciting to do. Yeah, I I'm think very so. Excited for this future that Brittany has for us, like <laughs> amazing, and we got all the marine animals with their like tattoos, their car- all carbon tattoos, Mer- <laughs> Little Mermaid included. Like, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, this is really exciting. Um, I guess that is what we have to ask. We already picked Brittany's mind for uh, quite a bit. Um, yeah. If the listeners have any more questions, they can definitely contact Brittany Moore. We'll have her information down below. And again, Brittany, thank you so much for sharing this amazing work on our show. We're so glad that you're here and you're our first, you're our first guest on this very new series we're embarking upon. <laughs> and so we look forward to following your progress and where this you know, eco-friendly thin film carbon transistor will take us. This is really yeah. exciting. Oh, thank you for um, having me. I would love to come back. Okay, perfect. Oh, yeah. Perfect. We'll contact you again. <laughs> and just <laughs> let us know if we have up. more you want to talk about. This is going to be exciting. Yeah. yeah. Watch out. The next few years, there's going to be a lot out there. From yeah. Me. Perfect. Yeah. You got to like um, click the bell button on my Google Scholar. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then as well for our audience listening, we'll be doing more of these interviews with authors so you can learn, learn directly from the scientists themselves. So stay tuned for these. And that is all the Dana for today. Take care. And stay curious. <laughs>